What is up, beautiful Dynasty Leaguers? Welcome back to the Dynasty Dynamic. I'm your host, Max Cascones, joined by the man who's officially gone to the dark side and started collecting football cards, Uh (laughs) a.k.a. the Run DMC, a.k.a. Mr. Dan McAuliffe, and by the man who's tried to record this show with me not once, not twice, but three times. I'm talking about at DFF Moose, a.k.a. Mr. Mike McAuliffe, Gentlemen, how we doing tonight? Not too shabby, Max. Um, getting getting a little poorer after investing uh, in in uh, a couple uh, cards here and there, but not much, not much. I just got a, a CD Lamb. I wanted to have a little something there, which was nice. Got a little J.K. Dobbins. Got a couple uh, memorabilia memoirs, if you will, uh, to get me excited. Uh, it's the off season. What the heck else are we gonna do here, right? I mean, we're, nice, we're itching for football immediately, so we want to be able to find some way to remind us of football. So uh, I might have slipped to the dark side a little bit there, but <laughs> but uh, I'm excited about it all the same. So no complaints, Mike. How about you? Hey, I I love that man. I mean, hell, this was the last uh, first Sunday in a while where we haven't had any football. It's kind of kind of boring. So exactly, we're in the off season now. First uh, first show of the off season. Yeah, man, gotta, gotta get it. the collecting going you encouraged me i know you guys are not uh the biggest baseball fans but you definitely encouraged me to break out my all baseball cards search there for we some go rookie cards here and there so doing good though man let's uh let's get back to football here huh, shall yeah. we <laughs> like if i can if i can dig it up i will give you my mo vaughn signed ah, baseball are you kidding me that's awesome i will give it to you dude <laughs> I will. I will take it <laughs> gladly. As yeah, you hold on to that. that, that's like a nice wedding gift. All you have to do man. to earn it is admit that Ceedee Lamb is a top five wide receiver in dynasty. All right, that's you can. You can keep it. You can. Keep oh, it. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> jokes. Jokes aside, if there was ever a reason to keep the show short, it's tonight, because for gamers like me. From Software's masterpiece, Elden Ring is dropped. Oh, Nobody baby. listened to this cares but me. <laughs> but George R.R. R. Martin wrote the world, and this podcast is the only thing standing between me and finding out what that game has Here in store. Here we go. So <laughs> let's keep it concise tonight, but we do have a lot to get through. And the tweet of the week that I've been trying to do for three weeks in a row now, shout out to amace09. We will put it in the description and get it out on Twitter. But tonight, we are here to talk about rookie scouting. So a lot of different factors when you're trying to evaluate these guys, especially pre-combine, pre-draft, all that fun stuff. So Mike, why don't you take us through the poll we had you put out on Twitter, let us know the uh, the answers we gave people and where the percentages led us on this one. Yeah, totally. So like Max said, put a poll up on the uh, DFF Moose account, um, just kind of asking people, uh, the question of which of these factors do you consider the most when evaluating incoming rookies and building out your rookie rankings? So presented people with four different options. Uh, first option is going to be uh, you like to look at stats or advanced metrics the most. Uh, second option is analyst opinions and scouting. Third option is uh, focusing more on landing spot and draft capital. And then the fourth option would be uh, game film and highlights are the most important for people to look at. So seems like uh, 33% of the vote uh, came through for landing spot and draft capital is going to be the most important for people. Uh, second place was game film and highlights with 26% of the vote. Uh, third place was analyst opinions and scouting for with 22 and then rounding it out was stats and advanced metrics at 19%. I think we can all agree that this pretty much shows exactly what we're going to talk about here, that all of these options are pretty equally weighted for people. 
Mike, I'm very surprised to find what I feel like you lean on the most uh, absent from this poll, which is were they roommates in college? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I noticed you didn't include that here. We'll have to cover that on a separate show because that's mainly how Mike evaluates. It's something tells me I'm things. the only one there. So I think it, it, it's good that we left that off. <laughs> Um, so let's jump right into the fun stuff and let's start off with the field generals dan talk to me about quarterbacks easily the just so many factors here so tough to evaluate start to walk us through some of the things that you look at in these prospects yeah totally so just to to reiterate there as you said the quarterback is in charge of so much stuff, and they are the factor of so many things beyond even their own play, right? So you have to almost decipher what's because of them versus what is what are they being given as a gift in terms of other players they're playing with, etc. There's so much that goes into it. And as we said, they're that field general. They are uh, making so many decisions all the time. So there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to go over that are critical to the success of the QB. But the first thing I'm going to call out is the top here is they are franchise makers, right? When you're looking at the NFL, this is a type of player you plan your next 10 years around. So there's a lot of weight that goes into it from the scouting standpoint on if there's certain talent that's coming in in a certain draft year, uh, you're going to have scouts all over it and trying to clamor on if this is a person that you need to have on your team, you're going to have to get them early, right? So the first thing that we're going to bring to the table here is draft capital is massive and in, in, in parentheses we'll put unfortunately because for so many of these different things you're going to see these very very talented uh quarterbacks go up towards the top i mean it's basically uh a given that for most successful quarterbacks you need to go in the first round for draft capital you absolutely you're going to see others who kind of sneak in uh you've got your dak prescott um in looking at like past proven successes, uh, I think you've got uh, some other more recent examples like Jalen Hurts that I'll touch on in a second there. But for draft capital as a whole, it is there are a lot of people who are smarter than myself and pretty much anyone uh, on this podcast here who put so much time and effort into really screening these guys. There's some weight that we have to give to the draft capital that's uh, given to them because that means there's uh, buy-in at the ownership level. There's buy-in at the coaching level. There's probably even some buy-in from other teammates who had played with that player clamoring to get them on the team. It speaks volumes. So when it comes to the players who are highly drafted, in my opinion, the best thing it earns you is at least as a dynasty player, some time to see how they uh, unfold. Because if you are drafted highly, you are going to probably get at least five years of them uh, getting their best shot up until they at least reach their fifth year option, right? So if you're getting that kind of like stability, I think it is so key in dynasty. If you're like, oh man, they're drafted in the top like 10 picks. Like I feel like there's no way they're not going to get the chance to be able to succeed if a a team uh, invested that highly in them. There are chances that doesn't happen. Uh, R.I.P. Josh Rosen, uh, Arizona Cardinals did him dirty on that. So it's not always going to work out. But in most cases, you're basically saying, okay, we as a franchise believe in this guy so much that we're going to take him here. Um, we're going to give him that time to be able to do so. Looping back to someone like Jalen Hurts, right? Uh, a recent example, big guy that we've loved on the podcast here. He's taken at uh, the, the 21st pick in the second round which isn't terrible, but it's, it's, I mean, you're basically almost talking uh, a back of the second uh, to, to third round pick there. So when you're looking at what he's done, I think you've seen a lot of great success, a lot of early promise, but because of where he was taken at that level, 
year after year and season after season we're getting this is Jalen Hurts going to be replaced for this blockbuster trade or Eagles have three first round picks now are they going to take another guy to have competition the disrespect is there constantly so it's just something that unfortunately you need to take into account it can work very well in your favor and honestly it can create some great values Jalen Hurts was free because of uh, the lack of draft capital and look at what he was able to do people are able to overcome it but it definitely is is harder to do so. So that's kind of the first big note on draft capital because honestly is so predictive uh, and so important. The other aspects are really just now starting to take a look at the player as themselves, right? Uh, and that starts to come into some of the size and athleticism. You, you're, you are born with a certain body and you, you can't really change that, but there are there's always been this fallacy that there needed to be the tall QB, this big commanding presence uh, under center there that's going to be able to see the field at large. Height, in my opinion, helps. But I think now, in some of the research I've started to take a look at, is it's not the only thing that's going to be helping you when you're a quarterback there's actually a little bit more of like certain molds that you can meet now Um, there's the tall QB you had like Trevor Lawrence you got some other ones that are just these big tall players that have this kind of big commanding presence but you've also got your Kyler Murray's and you've got your your um, Russell Wilson's they fit a different prototype because of this next thing that I was going to bring up which is career production especially when it comes to rushing stats this now this new QB kind of prototype that we have it isn't lending lending itself to being this big presence in the middle of the pocket that's not going to move and is unathletic but able to make good decisions. You now have this kind of new prototype that's coming about that is able to make some good decisions but is also able to make the decision to just run with it, to find space, to be able to make quicker and shorter pass decisions that are going to be beneficial for the team and make it so much harder for defenses to predict. So this size and athleticism I'm really going to emphasize more the athleticism than the size at this point, because the athleticism it was is what lends itself to being a scrambler or at even better, this Konami code QB that we're talking about, which is the total dual threat. Your Lamar Jackson's, your Kyler Murray's, uh, your Josh Allen's, etc. Those are the types of quarterbacks that win you leagues, as we've seen over the past uh, few years. Josh Allen, QB one past two years, Lamar Jackson the, the year prior. Those quarterbacks win leagues and is something that I highly invest in when I'm looking at the quarterbacks as a whole. So those are kind of the big three that I wanted to be able to touch on. Max, Mike, what are you guys, what are you guys' thoughts when it comes to like those points in particular about a quarterback? Yeah, I, I like a lot of those points that you brought up, Dan. I think obviously one thing that's interesting for me looking at this class, right, and looking specifically at like Malik Willis, Matt Corral, and Sam Howell is that athleticism gives them a certain floor. So it's not even always the cherry on top, right, of the rushing production along with being a great passing quarterback, but it is also just the ability to evade pressure. I mean, Joe Burrow is not unathletic, but I can guarantee Kyler Murray would have escaped a few of those sacks in the Super Bowl that Joe Burrow couldn't have found himself, you know, getting out of. I mean, listen, anybody going up against Aaron Donald, it's it's a really risky proposition, but you get Mm -hmm. what I'm saying here. And I do think the size and athleticism piece is huge. It's it's what you're describing is is there's multiple archetypes now of, exactly. of these guys in the NFL. It's no longer, you know, these statue quarterbacks, which is why you're seeing, um, you know, the guy from Nevada, Carson Strong, you know, being projected in the second round. It's kind of an era in the NFL that's, that's passed us by. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think a big piece of this that is like an added layer that I'd love to hear Mike talk about a little bit is just like, 
you get these guys, you look at their you look at their stature, you look at the draft capital, you look at their kind of career production. But what about the guys they were sharing the field with, Mike? So talk to me a little bit about who these guys are throwing to and how that can either help or hurt some of these evaluations. Yeah, totally. It's it's super important to be able to put everything in context, uh, particularly when looking at the quarterback position. So, um, you know, we, we talked about it can either help or hurt. Um, it can make guys harder to evaluate. You know, you look at a guy like Joe Burrow, for example, uh, you know, different people had wildly different takes on him coming out of LSU. Obviously, his last year there was the big year where he was able to, you know, bring home the national championship. He threw, I believe, 60 touchdowns that year as well. People were already a little bit, you know, um, concerned. Is that just a one-hit wonder? Um, but also the question of, was he being carried by his wide receivers? You know, you have guys like Jamar Chase, you know, the year uh, before that, Justin Jefferson uh, on that team as well. It's like, is this guy being propped up by the talent around him or is he just using that talent to the most of its ability? Uh, you know, comparing Joe Burrow to, you know, same same draft class, Justin Herbert uh, at Oregon. You know, he was with a group of wide receivers that you wouldn't really know any of them, at least going into the NFL. So if he was in that type of situation, how would he have been drafted? If he, if, you know, if he was LSU, would he be the 101 in, in Superflex as opposed to, um, you know, going in the late first to early second, as we were talking about earlier? So um, I think it's very important to be able to evaluate, but also stick to your guns. A lot of people were like, no, Joe Burrow is a, a fantastic quarterback. He's got that that if factor, good accuracy, good decision making. So um not only is it important to be able to contextualize uh, what they've got on their own team, but also who are they playing against? Uh, you know, what are they, are they in a super easy conference? Are they in the SEC? Are they, are they going up against future NFL players or are they going up against guys that are going to be future practice squad guys or just future high school football coaches, you know? So uh, I look at a guy like Zach Wilson um, where, you know, a lot of people could argue that the, the arm talent was there, the, the, you know, rushing ability and the ability to make big plays happen. But he went to a small school that, you know, you can't really rationalize the competition he was going against to be this guy looks like he's definitely an NFL ready quarterback. You know, that's another reason why um, I definitely had some reservations about Trey Lance. You look at these guys that went to smaller schools, beat up on, you know, not as great competition. And they're coming into the NFL being deemed as, you know, project quarterbacks. Um, it's just, and again, if going Trey Lance last year, you look at Malik Willis uh, this year. That could be the argument against him this year is that, you know, he's not going up against the best uh, competition in the world. Um, so it's it's just very important to be able to put these stats into context. Um, and, you know, going further than that, some of the things that don't exactly show up on the stat sheet, especially in fantasy and something that people may not look towards too much, but I know is something that's important to me is the intangibles for some of these guys. You know, you want a guy that's going to be able to come in and be that franchise maker, you know, be that leader on the field, off the field that promotes their longevity in the NFL in general. Um, you know, you want to be able to hear what does his college coach have to say about him? Is he coachable? Is he going to be a guy that comes into the league and only gets better, is willing to listen, um, you know, and make the players around him, uh, you know, make make people around him better? That's very important. It, Like I said, it definitely plays into a guy being able to either have those five years and not prove much or be able to consistently show improvement and be an NFL quarterback for over, you know, a long time. And that's important in Dynasty. 
Those are all great points, gentlemen. Um, and I want to take this all a level further because, you know, Dan laid it out at the highest level. Mike talked about the competition and, you know, the teammate factor here. I think the underlying thing after you look at all of those pieces to me is the efficiency at the quarterback position. Now, in terms of me evaluating quarterbacks in, in the incoming rookie class, I lean heavily on advanced metrics because I'm not a professional scout. I don't trust myself to know whether Trevor Lawrence was going to his second read or his third read on that play when he, when I was watching Clemson film last year, right? So efficiency is huge. And for me, it falls into three really big number buckets. The first one being college QBR, right? Just the overall assessment of their contribution to the team, whether it's in the, whether it's passing yards, rushing yards, sacks, interceptions, fumbles, it's all rolled into these kind of advanced metrics. I also love to look at yards per attempt and I love to see a high yards per attempt because that to me shows that this guy knows how to attack the intermediate and deep areas of the field, right? It's not just a consistent dink and dunk offense. So I love seeing upper percentile yards per attempt and then breakout age, which is, you know, I know Dan loves this metrics for wide receivers, but it works really well for quarterbacks as well because age adjusted production is huge. It's one thing to be Joe Burrow in your fifth year at LSU at age 22, lighting the world on fire. But if you're doing the same thing at 18, that's even more impressive because it means you were just that much more ready to face guys that are going to the NFL in a year um, when you still are two, three years removed from playing in the NFL. So I love looking at those three buckets and I want to quickly read a list off to you guys. You'll probably recognize some of these names. Patrick Mahomes. Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and my guy Jalen Hurts. Those are all just some recent examples of players that came into the league with an 80th percentile or above QBR. College QBR in their best season is super indicative of future performance, and that to me is really just what I lean on. So gentlemen, in case there's anything we miss, I will throw it back to you for any last words, but if not, we can move on to the running back position. I see head shakes. Looks like <laughs> we're moving on to the running back position. Right. All right. So quarterback, extremely complex. I personally think running back is a little bit more simplistic. So I'll, I'll kick this one off again. Whenever we're starting with these players, we are always looking at their total body of work, right? What have they done over their three to four years, maybe five years, in the NCAA, um, you know, you get certain players like a Miles Sanders, right, that are stuck behind a generational talent like Saquon Barkley, only get one year production. You get some guys like Jonathan Taylor that had back to back to back 2,000 yard rushing seasons. So for me, it's all about college production over that time. And I am a size and athleticism snob, and I am not ashamed of it. If you are 200 pounds, that's great. If you're 210 pounds, that's even better. And if you're 220 pounds, you are what the NFL loves to call a workhorse level back. They love that 215 and 220 pound threshold. And I'm looking for one of two athletic traits here. I either want elite speed adjusted for size, or I want elite agility adjusted for size, right? Because Dan loves his broken tackles. He loves the broken tackle. <laughs> I like guys that don't even get close to the broken tackle. I want to see them juking people. I want to see them running away from people. So those are the things that I love, you know, that to me is an indicator of making people miss. And, you know, there is 
the uh, there is the extra layer. You know, you can go. It's always a nice to have. But but BMI body mass index. You know, guys like Frank Gore with those 90th percentile BMIs. That's one of the reasons people claim he lasted so long in the league. So I love seeing good production over a couple years. Um, always better if through the lens of a high level of competition, right? Dan and I have waxed poetic about the SEC on this podcast and talking about how producing in that conference is just such a great indicator of success because a lot of those guys are going on to the NFL level. Yeah. But obviously, there's more to the running back position than just running the ball. There's another side of that position. And Mike, I want to hear you talk a little bit about that right now. That's right. Totally. I mean, we talked about with QBs, the the real cheat code, the Konami code uh, is the rushing upside. With running backs now, that pass, pass catching prowess is super important uh, in being able to see that they were used heavily in college in the passing game. You know, this is something that it's going to be basically just free points for you if you have a guy um, that is going to be able to unlock four to six PPR points for a lock every game. That gives you such a higher floor um, than guys. You know, you, you see guys like Nick Chubb, like Damian Harris, that are fantastic running backs in the NFL that everyone in the dynasty community or in the fantasy community in general seems to have that yeah, but factor with them. You know, they can never be placed in this tier of players because they don't have any pass catching upside. You see, you know, guys like Alvin Kamara for for many years now just be incredibly valuable uh, to name a younger guy and someone that I definitely uh, um, I've given Dan a hard time about in the past. DeAndre Swift, a freaking monster because he can pass it, uh, catch passes and give you, you know, six receptions a game at minimum. That's huge. Um, and, you know, that also for, for NFL coaches, that's something that's going to help a guy stay on the field for longer, especially, you know, even if uh, I know we're talking about pass catching, but pass blocking too, if they're able to do that, but they may be able to roll out, uh, you know, late into the play and be able to, you know, just be a check down option for quarterbacks. That is huge uh, for me personally. Um, and then, you know, something else just going on to a different vein um, when talking about these uh, running backs and how we're drafting them, how we're evaluating them, you want to be able to look at what's the actual NFL running back room that they're going into look like. Like, what's their landing spot? What's their sort of opportunity going to look like? Um, for me, I know that especially it's going to depend on whether you're rebuilding, whether you're a win-now team. Uh, you might be more willing to spring towards uh, a guy like Najee Harris, even though everyone seemed to have him as an RB1 last year because you knew that he was going to be going into that situation with a full workload. A uh, team that's ready historically has given their running backs um, a full workload. But then you have a guy like Javante Williams, for all intents and purposes, just a stellar prospect um, coming out of college, going to a team where people were immediately like, okay, what's the situation going to be like? What's the split going to be like between these guys? I understand that Javante Williams is still widely, um, you know, widely regarded as a top five, possibly dynasty um, asset right now. But had he gone to say the Dolphins, which I recall being uh, a spot that a lot of people thought might have could have happened uh, yep. last year, what would what would his stock look like right now? Like my Mike, God, I don't want to talk about it. I know, I man. <laughs> so here's been the great. Thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> like like you said, I know that that uh, you know Dan. For you, that's something you you think maybe don't be quite as scared of that because the 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 talent is going to win out, and we know that. But you know when 
playing Dynasty, we know that an important part of it is is the market and, and people valuing current production versus future production. So, yeah. um, you know, to me, to me, it is important that you have a guy that's going to be able to have the opportunity to succeed immediately. I, and I wouldn't yeah. dis- disagree there. Uh, I definitely know that keep those things in mind, play the market. Because just as you said, now knowing that, so many people, too many people, were scared of Marlon Mack ahead of Jonathan yeah. Taylor. And then instead had Clyde Edwards Hilaire with totally open field, no competition, as the it ranked above him, right? Whereas if you are taking a look at this, I think there are great opportunities to find areas where someone's not going to have that level of competition. But I do think just use that market knowledge to your advantage to find values or let others fall into traps. Because I think if you have a talented player who also has it's kind of like a quadrant right like talented player with no competition slam dunk like home run talented uh player with some competition probably going to be a value for you you're probably going to have some opportunity there um bad player with competition yeah well they're not on your list and then what do we have less bad player open comp uh, or no competition like all right there's there's Mm -hmm. probably again some value there that you can have in the market but (laughs) I think you need to always kind of lean on that profile first because everything shakes out in the end, man. It always does. So you're going to get those quick hit wins with those that have no competition. Sell them quickly because then they're probably going to get other competition because they weren't that good a player to begin with. If you've got this great player who has competition in there, I think then you got to be able to to, to pounce because I think we've just learned that lesson time and time again. And thankfully... If you listen to this podcast, we've preached against some of that stuff there. So that's right. Um, but I think you make some great points. We were absolutely a Jonathan Taylor at the 101 in non Superflex Leagues podcast. And we will always have that. To <laughs> we will. We will always um, have that. Mike, I want to circle back real quick. Uh, obviously, you stress the importance of, uh, of receptions. And uh, Scott Barrett, I believe over at PFF, had a really cool stat where basically in PPR leagues, a target is worth 2.74 times what it carries worth at the running back position. And for those of you that play in standard leagues and just all own copies of Derrick Henry on your teams, even in standard leagues, a target, not even a reception is worth 1.36 times what a carry is. And Mike, while we're here with these microphones in front of us, I'd like to take this time to remind you that Elijah Mitchell are averaged uh, 1.8 targets per game last year. So with that in mind, uh, I'd love to throw it to Dan. This is gotcha journalism. (laughs) It is. He didn't even let me respond. I added that up. I actually added that up while Mike was talking because I was like, ah, this is a good time to throw some Elijah Mitchell cold water. I respect that. Um, That's my one worry with him. I, I agree. Dan, I I would love to have you round this conversation out because obviously I've talked about the profile, the athleticism. Mike talked about the competition and the pass catching, but there's obviously another huge component is which is the team fit in the scheme. So exactly. take us home, buddy. Talk to us. Let's go down Narrative Street. We know it's your oh, favorite place. You want to take a walk down Narrative Street? Don't st- say Please. no more. <laughs> Um, so absolutely. In fairness, and this is hard because this is a component we can't really measure right now, right? This requires, just like we were talking about QB and needing to know the draft capital, this requires us knowing, uh, where they're headed. Um, but I firmly believe that there is a place to be able to evaluate, uh, where, uh, someone is landing, not from even just the team uh, competition standpoint, like we were talking about before, but like coaching and just general vibe of the team and how it goes, because I always tend to get really excited and do tend to target teams that are pro run the rock like right up the middle of the field like there are just so many 
coaches that just have that mentality. Um, albeit in fairness, it's a little bit old school as compared to some of the rest of the way that the NFL is heading, but you can just, you can count on a, uh, a running back getting a certain amount of carries easy, 15 to 20, no problem, plus catching passes uh, in certain systems there. So in the past, I mean, Kevin Stefanski uh, was a big one. Um, that I was targeting with uh, with Nick Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt. You just saw both of them, again, being able to. They had some injuries this uh, this year, but being very successful together. Two running backs, like that's, that's a field day to be able to have potentially uh, two relevant running backs in one system uh, that you can target. And what it really lends itself to is that RB2 is probably dirt cheap, but you're going to get really great production out of them because of it. Um, Gary Kubiak, Pete Carroll, they're all guys where you just know, like sometimes <laughs> like at, at, uh, a certain expense will run the ball just because that's kind of their mentality there. But you were looking for opportunity here. You have to take advantage of, the, of those situations to be able to get fantasy points. You can have like the, the best player on the field. You can have a Jonathan Taylor, but if they only play him for, uh, 20% of the game uh, for Snapshare, like you're screwed. And le- and you can have this other running back who's a no-namer who's playing uh, 75, 80% of the total snaps. He's a third, uh, he's a pass-catching running back. There's something to be said there. There's another aspect too where maybe it's not the uh, team's vibe or the coach's vibe all the time, but it comes out of necessity, which is weak QB. Uh, when you have a certain quarterback who's not ready to be able to make the big plays and be that field general that we were talking about, it's more of a warm body on the field, you're going to see these running backs just out of necessity uh, come to light. Uh, hate to uh, to call it, but it, that was a reason in particular that I was targeting DeAndre Swift. Again, and you were going to make fun of Jared Goff. Sorry, buddy. Jared Goff. Uh, I, I apologize, but um, you, you weren't someone I was really, I don't think a lot of defenses were super scared of. Uh, and instead, what you end up doing was dumping the ball off a ton to DeAndre Swift. And it worked out great for fantasy owners because there's, for whatever reason, this, I need my defense to be, or sorry, my offense to be like a top 10 offense for my running back to be a top uh, 10 running back. And it's just not the case. Uh, you can easily have these schemes that kind of go against some of the numbers, but lend itself to fantasy gold. So that is my walk down narrative street. I hope you enjoyed it. hope it wasn't too long, but um, that's, that's stuff that I do believe again, when we're talking about intangibles, uh, things that I believe matter. Jared Goff has one more Super Bowl appearance than this podcast will ever, Absolutely. ever have, Dan. Exactly. Put some respect <laughs> on him. What if I become an equipment boy for the Pats or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say you'd be deflating footballs, but those That's days are kind of behind oh, us at yeah. this point. No, they, they lost um, those, those records, apparently. Roger. Exactly. No more. <laughs> I don't know what happened. It, it wouldn't no, be a podcast that, if I don't attack a quarterback era once once every podcast. That's true. Apparently. Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo. Poor, <laughs> poor, poor, poor Jimmy Noodle G. Noodle arm Garoppolo. <laughs> This time, <laughs> you guys are immensely talented, but in comparison, I, I apologize. Dan has high standards, very high standards around <laughs> these parts. But that uh, that was a good way to, to round it out because it really is like you know you're looking at these guys in a vacuum, and then even circling back to the quarterbacks, like you look at their profile in a vacuum, then you look at the draft capital, then you look at like who else they played with in college and all these things, and then you you nailed it, Dan. I mean, team scheme does matter. I do think. Some people weight the coach and tendencies like that a little bit more than others, but it's all a huge piece of the puzzle. So 
Hopefully everybody took something away from this conversation. You guys listening at home, prepping for your rookie drafts and keeping tabs on the, uh, on the combine numbers. But, uh, and then we will have even more fun next week when we get to cover Dan's favorite position, tight end, Ooh, and baby. the stuff that the rest of us care about wide receiver let's go next podcast it's an hour and a half long dedicating a full hour to the tight end position let's go (laughs) so we will have that ready and uh yeah dan's starting some super tight end premium leagues where you only start tight ends uh just a roster full of tight ends i mean that we will get those going but uh yeah not not the most popular format around these parts suppose not but getting out of here for today this is the dynasty dynamic You stay classy, Dynasty Leaguers. Thanks for tuning in. Milk was a bad choice.